Hey there, my name is Madison and I'm one of the pastors at Kainos Church in Portland, Oregon. This teaching you're about to listen to is from one of our Kainos collectives. These gatherings happen once a month, typically the first Sunday of the month, and serve as a time for us to worship together and learn from the scriptures. On the following Sundays of each month, we gather in smaller groups inside homes. We call these Kainos communities. Here we share a meal and discuss the Bible together. For more information about Kainos, feel free to visit kainospdx.org. The hope of Kainos Church is that we are people finding fresh and fulfilled life in Jesus. Like uh, Jake mentioned, this is the start of Advent season. And uh, Advent means uh, waiting. It's the idea of a coming into a place of, of coming into view or coming into being. Um, so I was thinking about uh, times when we have to wait, and this is not a shot at Mason, but when we go to the doctors and there's an, I have an appointment to meet with this person. And I get there and I still wait 25 minutes because apparently they're busy or, you know, whatever. Uh, this is a time when we end up waiting. Uh, that doesn't happen with you, right, Mason? Never. Never. Okay. Okay. Uh, or we, I was talking with uh, Madison about this one. When uh, you go to your favorite restaurant and you're starving, uh, but the waiter has not yet come to check in on you, you already know what you want. You know, it's like, I'm, I, I don't need any time. I just want to order. Or uh, it, right now when you wake up and it's been raining all night and it's still raining all day and you're wondering if the sun will ever come out again. <clears throat> or when you're at the DMV, which is, you know, Hell on earth. Thank you for sitting over there so I have someone to look at over there. Uh, uh, and then, of course, you know, Jake mentioned this too, but it's uh, the birth of a child. And for us, this is very real. We are less than six weeks away from our child being born. And something happens, and I love the picture of a, the birth of a child. Uh, over this nine-month period, you know, Abigail's body changes. And even mentally, there are some changes that start to happen. She has these urges to clean or to organize or to, you know, pull out boxes and get things ready. Uh, she has parties and calls them nesting parties. And some of you great women have been a part of those. Uh, and, and so when I think of Advent as this idea of a coming into place or coming into view, this idea of childbirth it just creates such a beautiful representation of that. Because there is a literal, we can see a progression towards something happening. We're eagerly waiting the arrival of our new son and, uh, and Harrison's brother. And as we wait for this, we can see as the kind of puzzle pieces start to come into place and we start to prepare his nursery and we start to, you know, get a bassinet for next to our bed or we decided on a name or, uh, you know, uh, we, we, we do all these things in preparation for this little human we haven't even met yet, but we eagerly wait for him. We are waiting in so much anticipation and expectation. And so this idea of, of Advent being a coming into view uh, we wanted to take a few minutes and just focus on what it looks like to wait. Uh, because we all are in a season of waiting for Jesus to return once again. And like our first century Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, they were waiting for their Messiah. And the times and seasons, they didn't quite have it written on, in the stars the way that we would, they would have hoped. Uh, there was a star. Uh, but... Uh, you know, there was this eager expectation that they just waited for their Messiah to come. 
And so the question that we uh, had today was, uh, what does it look like? What can we learn from their waiting as we wait for the arrival of Jesus once again? So here's what today is going to look like. As Jake mentioned, there are four of us speaking. So that's 160 minutes or so. Uh, Just hopefully you pack snacks. Harrison has some if you didn't. Uh, Just kidding. Uh, So uh, I'll I'll take a few minutes to speak, and then Madison will... uh, discuss an idea, and then Tyler will come up and talk about another idea, and then Becca will close things off. And so if you're wondering how when lunch is going to come into view, uh, that is when. Just wait for Tyler and then Becca, and you know we're wrapping up soon. Uh, we will each take a few minutes to just kind of talk about an idea of Advent, something that we think we can see in the story of Jesus and the story of Advent and the idea of waiting uh, and what it looks like to wait. Uh, what we can learn from our first century brothers and sisters, but then also how it applies to us. And then we'll end each section with a prayer. And this prayer will be on the screen and we will each read part of it. And then the last line is bold. You'll see this on the screen and we'd love for all of you to join us in reading that last part. Okay. So let's start today by looking at Luke 2:25. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. This idea of waiting for the consolation of Israel, I didn't know it, but it was in the song that we just sang. Uh, The idea of the consolation of Israel uh, is taken directly from Isaiah 61. Consolation just means comfort. And so in Isaiah 61, we read, The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord anointed me to bring good news to the humble. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the cloak of praise instead of a disheartened spirit, so they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. So Simeon was waiting for the ultimate comfort of his people. He was waiting for the liberation and freedom of oppressed of his oppressed people. Simeon was a, peop, uh, was a part of a people group who was oppressed by the Roman Empire. And he was waiting for this promised Messiah that he had been reading about, hearing about his entire life. He was waiting for this good news to come to pass. Luke 2.26 says, And it had been revealed to him, Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So Simeon now is looking forward to two promises. The promise that a Messiah will come at one point, and now this promise that was revealed to him personally by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he saw that Messiah. Uh, what, one of the things that sticks out to me about this promise that he receives from the Holy Spirit is that he's not given a whole lot of detail. He doesn't know what to look for, who he's looking for, uh, when to look for it. And, you know, other passages that include this story, other gospels that include this story, allude to this idea that Simeon is a very old man at this point in the story. And, uh, And so we don't know how long ago the Holy Spirit revealed this to him. Was it 10 seconds ago or 10 years ago? Was it, you know, 50 years ago? How long has he been holding on to this promise in his life? And as he gets older, I imagine that there was not just, you know, the advent of a Messiah coming into view, but there was probably the advent of death coming into view. And this question of, will I truly see 
the Messiah before I die. I mean, I I imagine his body started to break down. Maybe his eyesight physically was going away and he had, will I actually see the Messiah? Did I really hear the Holy Spirit when I thought that I heard him say that? So Simeon now has two promises he's looking forward to. Luke 2, 27 says, And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought, the parents being Jesus' parents, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all, your, all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So Simeon see, gets the opportunity to see the Messiah he was promised he would see. Uh, but again, this is a, a man who, you know, likely did not get to see Jesus uh, grow into this miracle-working God. He likely did not see Jesus uh, be crucified. He did not get to see the fruition of what that would look like, but here he is praising God. So what does that mean for us today? What is the promise that we look to today? Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Hebrews shows us that the promise we have today, as we sit in these seats and as we meet on Sundays and as we go into our workplaces and we live out our lives and we try our best to serve and follow Jesus every day, uh, we don't have it written in the stars for us when he'll come, but we eagerly wait. We are in a time of Advent looking for Jesus's return and we are eagerly waiting for him to save us to rescue us, to comfort us from the hurts and harms of this world, to uh, liberate people who are oppressed, uh, to provide freedom to people who are captive uh, in their lifestyles and in their choices and in their, uh, in their, um, in their oppressive pl- uh, workplaces and um, lives. It, we are waiting for Jesus to return and make all things new. We're waiting for the consolation of our souls Matthew 28 gives us another promise. In verse 19, we read, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's that's what we do when we wait. That's what we do while we wait. And how it ends, it says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so in our season of waiting, as we are looking to the advent of Christ once again, we we know that he is with us. And so over this next four weeks, I think our hope and our goal for our church would be that we would intentionally wait. We would try and put ourselves in the shoes of our first century brothers and sisters and that we would position ourselves to wait that we would eagerly wait for the coming of our Christ. And we would, uh, every moment, every day, we would wake up and think, what does it look like for me to wait today, to eagerly wait for Jesus? For Simeon, he was righteous and devout. He continued to, uh, to seek out Christ, to seek out that Messiah. He showed up at the temple. Maybe he assumed, if I'm gonna find him anywhere, I'm gonna find him here. So I'm gonna show up every day to worship and to pray. And so I don't know what that looks like for each of you today, but in, while we look to this promise of Christ's return, 
I wonder what that looks like for you to wake up and to wait. And so we'll put this prayer on the screen as a reminder. The last uh, line of each of these stanzas, I'd love for you to say it with me. It's Advent. It's not yet Christmas. And we are in the waiting. And you are here too. God, be with us in the waiting. What a beautiful promise you gave to your people and to the world. The promise of a rescuer and a redeemer. A king and a kingdom of restoration. God of promise, we see your promise. We reflect on the things you've promised us, lives marked by an unconditional love, a life attached to you, is promised forgiveness, peace, and grace. God of promise, help us to believe in your promise. We believe a future promise dependent only on the blood of Jesus, a promise of your completed kingdom, glorious and good, where the dwelling place of God will be with man. God of promise, we hear your promise. Madison. So like Justin just taught, there's a promise of Advent. Um, Ancient scripture make this promise, but it's more of a prophecy than prescription. Um, And it was, it remained in so much mystery as the, the people of God were waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. So this morning, I think an important thing for us to reflect on is also the mystery of Advent. So if you'd like to open your Bible or your Bible app, it'll also be on the screen to Matthew 2. We're going to read about two different ways that ancient characters handled this mystery. Matthew 2, starting in verse 1, says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who had been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet had written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So in this story, we see two different groups of people encounter the mystery of Advent. One is the Magi, which is a word that means wise men, probably the word we're more familiar with, um, or scholars is a word I like to use. These would have been non-Jewish, like intellectuals, maybe philosophers or astrologers, who had noticed something curious about the star patterns they were mapping and were determined to uncover its mystery. For the Magi, the mystery of Advent led them on a journey of wonder and worship. And then on the stark contrast in the story is Herod. 
Uh, King Herod the Great was a Roman ruler over Judea. He was half Jewish, but he loved the power that Rome gave him. And um, because of his ties to Judaism, he was given the providence of Judea to rule over during this time. When he encountered the same mystery of a coming Jewish king, he went to extreme lengths to assert his authority and control over the situation. Later in Matthew, um, he even details him decreeing a genocide of all the baby boys in the area um, in order to stop this mystery from unfolding. So for Herod, the mystery of Advent led him to a chaotic process of control. And I think these two pathways are very telling of human tendencies, and I couldn't help but think about the mysteries in my life and how I'm tempted to go both of those ways. While we now have the final story of the mystery of the Messiah fulfilled, there's still so much mystery that we experience as followers of Jesus today. And though mystery can be a lot of things, like exciting, nerve-wracking, thrilling, I personally mostly find it frustrating. I so badly want to know the answers to mysteries in my life, and questions, both practical and ethereal, plague my mind. Um, some questions I'm asking right now, like practical, how is my family going to afford healthcare next year? Um, what's the future of Kainos Church? Um, why are some of my friends' health failing them right now? Sorry, that one feels really heavy this morning. Um, what, where is God at work in the suffering of Portland that I see often, and what is my role in that work? God never condemns questions, um, but he also never promises answers exactly how we would want them. Instead, he invites us into the mystery of following his way 2,000 years after he stepped foot on the earth. And he reveals things in his perfect timing. And he offers us his comforting companionship along the way. So while I wait for mysteries in my life to be untangled, I can follow the way of Herod, grasping for control and letting myself spiral into chaos that harms myself and others. Or I can follow the way of the wise, allowing the mystery to lead me into a trusting journey with Jesus that lets me wonder and worship the God that writes more beautiful stories than I do. So beyond our individual mysteries that we encounter in our actual lives, there yet remains the mystery of God's impending promise that Christ will come again. We have scripture that points to a beautiful moment when the divine that we know in our hearts will become real to us, plain as he was in Bethlehem, and when the dwelling place of God will again be with man. But questions, when, how, um, there's a propensity, I think, for the Christian church to take this mystery and, again, grasp for control. To come up with certain timelines or theories or, like, methods to coax God into showing up into humanity again. But Advent invites us to consider a better way of meeting this mystery. Like the Magi, the path of the church could be to lead us into worshipful wonder. One where we hold our hands open and our minds open and wait in wonder and worship for the future mystery of God to unfold. Which is obviously easier said than done. But this is the invitation of the mystery of Advent. So if you join me in this prayer. It's Advent, it's not yet Christmas. 
and we are in the waiting, and you are here too. God, be with us in the waiting. We recognize the questions they must have had, waiting for their Messiah to come. Who would he be, and how would he come? How would the God of the universe know us? God of mystery, we see their wonder. We reflect on our own individual mysteries and questions that plague our mind and welcome these doubts. You welcome these doubts and ponderings and promise that if we seek, we will find. God of mystery, help us to wonder. We realize an ongoing mystery, incomplete and yet still coming. How will you show up for your people again? What will eternity under your reign be like? God of mystery, we see your wonder. I'm going to hand it off to Tyler now. When trying to think through what Advent means for us, what the experience of it, um, I had a lot of thoughts that we talked through that I ditched almost immediately after because it's just hard to concisely talk about um, Advent fully and what makes it hard and how people have got it wrong in the past and what challenges we see in today. Um, we're not going to talk about any of that. Um, I actually really like, Madison, how you teed me up. I don't know how intentional it was. But um, me and, and my weird relationship with the word challenge, I see two things. Um, one is a burden, that challenge is. And the other is an invitation. Uh, the way she just talked about it was the path of the Magi with wonder and worship. Um, and that's the invitation. And then the burden is that of Herod, of of chaos and control. I think when we're uh, trying to grasp with the challenges of what Advent means in our lives, we're tempted to give in to this chaos and control. Um, and that can lead to despair. And I, I think we can be really tempted to just sit for too long or get stuck feeling at this despair. Um, but of course, the overall message for today is to not give in to that. Choose the, the path of the Magi and um, lean towards hope that the promises are going to be fulfilled. Um, that's not my job. Uh, to talk about hope, it's actually to talk about what it feels like, honestly, to kind of, if you could actually go back to the paths, I, I feel like, um, oh, is that too many slides? Sorry. No, I feel like a lot of times, if over on that side is the resolution, what happens after the hope or despair, we kind of get stuck right in between, you know, and right before. Where we don't yet feel hope, we don't yet feel despair, but we're right there. And oftentimes we, we're just kind of there at the fork, wanting to make a choice, but we always feel like we're back at the fork. And sometimes, at least for me, I've felt like on the path that you think you've chosen what you've chosen, you're like, oh, Am I on the wrong one? You're like, <laughs> I thought I was with the Magi on this one. <laughs> Why do I have homicidal tendencies? No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, and that's often where we end up sitting. The practical day-to-day -day life of Advent is one of just being here, not having necessarily a hope to cling to. Um, we're Simeon in his mid to late 40s, I assume. Retirement is not quite there, but the end of a life might be, and there's no Jesus, what, where are we? Um, and so when looking at um, what the people before Jesus were feeling, what they were experiencing, 
that kind of longing and yearning is also what we see. Um, and fortunately for us, we have a God who listens to our cries and the cries for help um, that the people of God have said to God becomes God's words to us when we're crying out. Um, and they're all put in the Psalms. Um, so Psalm 13 uh, starts out with this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? This is raw. This is how I've felt the majority of this year, actually. Um, And it's not a happy place. It's not a good place to feel. What I've learned, though, is that in the burden and the heaviness that being in that moment feels like, there's an invitation to experience the presence of God in a new and deeper way. Uh, What I've learned is that sometimes that feeling of longing and wondering how long, the feeling of not being quite satisfied with how life is turning out for you, is the presence of God, um, is the Holy Spirit conjuring something more in you. And so the invitation of, of Advent that comes with the challenge is to lean in, to be in that moment, and to learn to sense God's presence in this new and, and deeper way. Let that affect you and jar you. Um, on the other side of it is, is the hope, um, which Becca will come and, and land on. Oftentimes in our life, that's not where we land. And my tendency, once I understand that hope is the conclusion, is to try and shortcut it. <laughs> and um, that's not what I want to invite all of you into, necessarily. Some of you are in a place of hope and of feeling strong in the Lord. That's great. If you're feeling the challenge, if you're feeling the weight, that's all right. God is there. Mm-hmm. And you don't necessarily need the conclusion. The, the conclusion of this chapter, by the way, is hope. Mm-hmm. Um, which is an important detail to know, but not necessarily include at all times, because that's not often where we are. Um, there's, so, there's so much more about what made Advent challenging for the people before Jesus, stuff about the Roman Empire, stuff about what they understood about the Messiah that was wrong. All that's super applicable and important for today and how we can actually misunderstand the role of the Messiah, misunderstand what our expectations are for day-to-day life in the church. Um, There's just no time to get into that. So I encourage you guys to think and ponder and pray and talk with your house churches um, about that. Um, But today we're just going to kind of sit in this um, and understand that God's listening, that he will respond in his time. And that it's okay to feel the burden as long as you're listening for that invitation. Um, So if you could change to the prayer. Um, It's Advent. It's not yet Christmas. And we're in the waiting. And you are here too. God, be with us in the waiting. We recognize the challenge that they must have felt waiting for their Messiah to come. But in the meantime, suffering 
and unsure of how to coax God into coming. God of faith, we see the challenge. We reflect on our own individual challenges, our moments and seasons of hardship, when it's hard to remember you're close because you feel so far. God of faith, help us to meet this challenge. We realize an ongoing challenge of a world redeemed but not yet restored. The whole earth groans with pain while we wait for everything to be set right. God of faith, we join this challenge. Okay, so this morning I was reflecting that it was a year ago that I was up here talking about shepherds. Um, And Madison reminded me that when I was preparing for that message, I had talked to my dad beforehand, and he had um, just really put this idea in my head of when you give a sermon, when you teach a message, when you share something in front of your church body, what it's important to end with is hope. Like every sermon should end with hope. That's what we should be sending people out with. That's what um, this whole Christian life really turns into is this hope for what's to come. Um, And in listening to the three of you speak today, I've just really been reminded of one of Kainos's core tensions of this doubt and delight. And each of you touched on that, like the story of Simeon. He had both that doubt that, how long, Lord, how long is this going to take for me to meet this child that you've promised? Is my eyesight going to fail? Is my body going to fail? Will I just be a shell of myself by the time he comes? I don't know. But I trust you. Um, We see that in what Madison shared, where we have the Magi, the wise men, who approached it with this delight. Our Savior's here. We have faith. We're going. And we have Herod, who approached it with doubt. This can't be what people say. This person's not going to come in and take my power. Um, I'm going to control this as much as I can. And then what Tyler shared, these challenges. We have challenges that bring doubt. And we have challenges that bring delight. We have challenges where you come out on the other end. You feel lost. You feel wanting. We have challenges. You come out on the other end and you feel like you're on top of the world. And everything went the way that you wanted it to. And I just, I, the way that I understand hope is that we get to have it in both of those places. We get to have hope in the doubt and we get to have hope in the delight. I was even thinking of like silly story, but I went rock climbing yesterday and it was like the first time in five years I was up on a wall hanging on for dear life. Um, And I had this experience of like being so excited and hopeful to make it to the top and get to jump off and celebrate and just feel that sense of accomplishment of doing something hard. And I also had a moment where I kind of froze up there and was like, oh my gosh, if I fall in this position, am I going to hit my head? There's a pad under me, but like I could still fall weird. Things happen. Um, And I had this hope that I would get to have that cool experience and that joy of making it to the top. And I also had this hope that I wasn't going to hurt myself. <laughs> so there's, there's a tension there. There's, there's hope that feels really joyful. There's hope that feels really fulfilling. And there's hope that also feels like you're hanging on by your last thread. Yeah. Um, and I feel like this year in our church community, we've had both of those things a lot. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I feel like in the, the past year, as I reflect from the last time that I was up here sharing to now, I've had both of those a lot. Um, and I don't think those are going away. I don't think that we're going to ever have a day where we get to walk forward without the doubt or without the delight. I know there are days when it feels like the delight isn't there. Um, but I don't think there's ever days when it feels like there's not an ounce of doubt there. Um, and I just want to encourage us as we're waiting for Christ's return, as we're waiting for that restoration to wholeness, um, as we're looking forward to, you know, hoping that the church in itself does better, hoping that we in ourselves do better, hoping that Christ is um, showing up. Well, Christ is showing up, but that we're, that we're getting to experience that. Um, I just want us to really hold on to that, that knowledge that we can have both hope in the hard and the heavy, hope in the doubt, hope in the delight, and the good and the joy. And know that while we're waiting, we do have the Spirit with us. Um, in Romans 8, 38 to 39, it says, I'm sure that neither life nor death nor angel, angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ our Lord. That's true. That's here with us. Um, that's something that we can carry forward as we wait for that, that second coming and that restoration. Um, so my challenge is just to really pull from what each of the other three talked about um, that we take that the the propensity to go towards the chaos and control, and we ask God to lift that from us, just like this song that we um, sang earlier. There's no shame in looking like a fool when I give you what I can't keep to take a hold of you. Mm-hmm. Let us let go of that control to take a hold of Christ. It's Advent, it's not yet Christmas, and we are in the waiting, and you are here too. God, be with us in the waiting. We recognize the hope that they must have felt, waiting for their Messiah to come, the hope of a long-awaited Savior to come and rescue, redeem, and restore. God of hope, we see their hope. We reflect on our own individual hopes for what's ahead in this life, a life attached to you, is filled with moments of beauty and hope. God of hope, help us to hope. We realize an ongoing hope that we share with those before and those after us, a hope of your return, glorious and good, where you rule as king in your completed kingdom. God of hope, we see your hope.